0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside. Amen. Yes, Amen. After a week of of seeing um, a virtual Mark Miller, um, we are gathering back together. Thank, thanks be to God for that. Well, my name is Trace, um, one of the pastors here, one of the elders of the church, and I uh, just want to welcome you once again. Um, thank, thank the Lord that we have such beautiful weather here in early February. Um, man, this is a blessing. It really is. Sometimes we take uh, things, things for granted, and we just we don't want to do that. So uh, we're going to continue in our study this morning. We've been going through what have we been going through, church? John. John. Okay, just make sure we're we're uh, tracking. <clears throat> it's only been a week, but you know sometimes we forget things. You know, uh, the great theologian Inigo Montoya famously used the phrase. <laughs> you keep using that word. I do not think means, what do you think it means? What's that from? Okay, I wasn't sure. You know, there's a mixed audience here. I wasn't sure how many I was going to get to know that. Of course, yes, from the princess bride, um, and Inigo is not a theologian, as far as I know. But the essence of the quote, what it's trying to say, I think, can be applied to this morning's text. So in the world of Christianity, to be born again is a fairly common phrase. Would you agree with that? Right, Absolutely. But when you ask someone, or you even ask yourself, to explain what that means, you're going to get a variety of answers. You're going to get some incomplete answers. You're going to get some flat-out wrong answers to what it means to be born again. And part of the confusion exists because of how our passage this morning is translated, how it's laid out, and because of the things that we've been taught as believers, we need to get it right, because as Jesus himself says, eternity is on the line here. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to explore the how and the why of being born again. Let me think, man, that's that's real basic. Like, I got this nailed. Anybody, anybody got it nailed? You want to come up and, and preach off the text? I mean, okay, I just want to leave space for that. Um, Uh, One of my old commanding generals back in the day, General Mattis, used to say, brilliance in the basics. Brilliance in the basics. That means we we don't move on from things until we've mastered them, and one of them is understanding what we're talking about here. So I'm going to read our text this morning, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is where we are, or if you have a Bible app as your preference, you can turn there as well a couple of real what we'll call famous um, scriptures contained within the text here this morning would you read with me starting in john chapter 3 verse 1 is what it says you don't have to read along with me but just follow along now there's a man of the pharisees named nicodemus a ruler of the jews this man came to jesus by night and said to him rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of, spirit and of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, "Are, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, we bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, Lord, we just want to pause this morning once again, praying for your help, praying for your wisdom, your guidance, your strength. Um, Give us the focus we need this morning to glean from your word the things that, God, bring us closer into fellowship with you, God, that deepen our understanding and our appreciation of you and who you are. God, prepare us to do the things that you call us to do, to be ambassadors for you, to be light and salt, that we cannot do these things effectively, we don't know what your word teaches us, so teach us this morning, O Lord, speak through me with clarity and focus, and God, we pray every heart to receive from you, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we're introduced to this guy named Nicodemus. And he's a very important man. He's a a teacher. In fact, Jesus calls him the teacher uh, of Israel. So he's among the elite of the Jews, kind of the top rung when it comes to teachers here. He was an expert in all things Jewish law. And Nicodemus, very interested, um, approaches Jesus. So in in verse 2, what time of day does he go to Jesus? Goes to Nicodemus at night. So there are a variety of thoughts of of why Nicodemus goes to him at night. Maybe he was nervous of approaching Jesus and being seen in the daylight. Maybe he was just so busy that the only time that he had during the day was at night. Perhaps. But most likely it's symbolism that John is using in this text. So as we've gone through so far and as you'll continue to see, John uses this illustration of light and dark lightness and dark, to distinguish the contrast between the things of God and the things of this world. So so having said that, it seems that John is making a point that this man, Nicodemus, this great, great teacher, is actually walking in darkness. He'd not yet received the light of men that we read about back in John 1, 9 through 12. So for now, it seems very evident that Nicodemus is walking in the darkness. But that could change. It might even change in John later on as we see. So keep that in mind, Nicodemus. It could be a while before we see him again, but just know that right now he's walking in the darkness. Nevertheless, he extends this greeting to Jesus. How does he address Jesus? What does he call him? He calls him Rabbi, right? So essentially what he's doing is he's placing Jesus on the same turf as him. He's leveling the playing ground between the two of them. He tells Jesus straight up, We know that you, our teacher, come from God. Pretty bold, right? Nicodemus, right on. Yeah, we we know that you are this guy. Jesus comes back with his uh, initial reply. So go back to our text and see what his initial reply is in verse 3 to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that term, born again, there it is. It can be a little bit confusing. Even our man Nicodemus here is confused. He's thrown off. What does he ask? How can I how can I go back into my mother's womb a second time when I'm a grown-up? Interesting thought, but and when you're thinking about being born again and you don't have the context that we have, it's kind of like, is that what you're saying? Like, I'm supposed to go back in and, and come back out a second time? Like, n- no, it doesn't work that way. Of course, we, we understand that, but... Nicodemus just is not picking up what Jesus is is, is setting down. So Jesus, gracious and patient, responds a second time. Look at verses 5 and 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus expands now his explanation in such a way that an expert like Nicodemus, should have begun to pick up a couple of things from the words that Jesus uses here. He says, unless a person is born of water and what? Water and spirits. we got two things. If that's not the case, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, you and me, who probably have not spent extensive time reading through the prophets, may not follow where Jesus is going here, but like I said, Nicodemus, an expert, Little, little flashing lights should have gone off in his head. Like, ding, 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 ding. Oh, wait, I, I know this. I've heard this before. Where have we heard this before? So, go with me now. We're going to go where a few people have gone before. We're going to Ezekiel. We're going to Ezekiel 36. And as you're turning to Ezekiel 36, just reflect. When was the last time you were in Ezekiel 36. When's the last time you were in Ezekiel? When's the last time you were in any of the prophets? Just food for thought, that's all. You were in there Friday night? Good job. Good job. Ezekiel 36, are you there? You're still trying to find where Ezekiel is, right? It's in the middle somewhere. All right, so this is God's response to Israel, who had once again abandoned God living for themselves, worshiping idols, doing all kinds of things. And this is what we see God responding to. you. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore say the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which... is. Uh, has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. Now the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations, and gather you from all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Now we go, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, I'll put within you, and I'll remove their heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Uh, Anything in there about spirit and water? Sure. Uh, So I'm just going to really quickly reflect on this because... Literally, we could spend the rest of our time right here, which it sounds like you, you kind of did on Friday night at Mike's group, which is great. Uh, and Maybe you'll get in there uh, this week coming up a little bit further, but we weren't, we weren't here. you weren't here. You were just in Ezekiel. Okay, well, great. So this is perhaps something new. The word translated born again that we've been talking about in John chapter 3 can also be translated born from above. Born from above. So this, I think, is where things begin to click for us. The water is not the water of the mother's womb. That's what we're talking about. It's not the water of baptism. We're talking about living water that flows from the heart transformed by God. John builds on this idea. You don't have to go there, but in John chapter 7, verse 38, we're going to hear later on, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this water does something specific It cleanses of unrighteousness and sin. It's unlike any earthly water that we know. And water in all settings represents life. So we've got this special, unique water that's cleansing. All right. Then we've got the Holy Spirit's work. It removes the old heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Another word for this is regeneration. Have you heard that word before? regeneration right it's what um, Peter calls being born again to a living hope now if you've read through the Old Testament at all or if you're with us through Genesis you know that um, the the spirit of God throughout the Old Testament is the agent that brings life right when when God created Adam molded him out of the clay right and what did he do to, to bring life into him Breathe the Spirit was breathed into him to bring life. All throughout the Scripture, we see the Spirit bringing life. Now, we're not going to go there now, but I encourage you read on in Ezekiel. Read the next chapter, 37. You're going to get to this really interesting story of the Valley of the Dry Bones. How many are familiar with the Valley of the Dry Bones? Right. So it's a it's a pretty interesting story. If you've not read that, go there and read about all these bones representative of Israel that are going to be brought back to life, flesh on them and walking around and being full of life. But what is the agent of change to bring life in those dry bones? The spirit, the breath of life. The spirit is what we're talking about here. So go read Ezekiel 37 if you get the chance this week. So once a spirit replaces a heart of stone with a heart of flesh and regeneration has taken place, a person then is enabled to be able to walk in obedience and keep God's statutes as a new creation. That's what we've been talking about here. So, my friend Warren Weersby, he's not really my friend, but I wish he was, <clears throat> theologian says the child, the natural child, inherits the nature of parents, right? So does the child of God. We become partakers of the divine. Nature determines appetite which explains why the Christian has an appetite for the things of God. He has no desire to go back to the foul things of the world that once appealed to him. He feeds on the word of God and grows into spiritual maturity. Now, this is what must take place in order for a person to enter into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And he makes this very clear distinction. That which is of the flesh is flesh, and that which is of the spirit is spirit. You can't have one foot in both camps. It doesn't work that way. There's no earthly way to understand it. And what's the illustration he uses in verse 8? talks about the wind. When people think of the wind, they can't identify the source. They don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. But they sense its presence and its power. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus, in the words of scholar D.A. Horton, or D.A. Carson, <coughs> says. Nicodemus had not thought of the Old Testament passages this way. If he was like some other Pharisees, he was too confident of the quality of his own obedience to think he needed much repentance, let alone to have his whole life cleansed and his heart transformed to be born again. How many people do you know in your circles right now think that they're, they're good, they're okay? Their good outweighs their bad. When they come to stand before their maker, they're going to they're gonna make the cut. Don't you know people like that? I'm good. (laughs) Or even religious folks who are like, yeah, I give and I do all these things. I've paid my way in, so to speak. That's what it seems like is going on right here. But as a result, what happens here is another replacement moment. The great teachers of Israel that are all represented by Nicodemus are replaced by the one true teacher, the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. He is now the true authority and Jesus let him know, hey, look, brother, I love you, but if you can't understand the things of, of talking about earthly things, you're not going to understand the heavenly things. Uh, take a look at verse 14, will you, real quickly, as we're working through this passage. John 3:14. 14. Um, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. we got quite a few Old Testament references here, so... How many of you are are familiar with what it's referencing? Moses and the Israelites in the desert and a bunch of people being bit by snakes. How how many know that one by heart? How many were told that at night, you know, at bedtime? Right? It's it's a subtle hint. It's not even footnoted in, in my translation, but it's a powerful illustration. And it's only a couple of verses, so go back with me into the Old Testament. We're going to Numbers now. Numbers is near the beginning. We're in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21. I'll give you a minute to get there. Verses 4 through 9. Numbers 21, 4 through 9. This is Israel wandering in the desert, having come out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Weird story, right? Like, why is this in the Bible? Well, so that a couple thousand years later, (laughs) Jesus could use it as a reference, pointing to actually to a type, or a shadow, or a, a way of communicating himself. So just as the serpent was lifted up on the pole, Son of Man needs to be lifted up on a cross. Why? To save us from sin and death. So in that camp of Israel, says Wearsby, the solution to the serpent problem, it wasn't killing the serpents, it wasn't making medicine, it wasn't pretending that they weren't there, um, uh, passing anti-serpent laws, or even climbing the pole? The answer was looking by faith at the uplifted serpent. That was the answer. The whole world has been bitten by sin. And the wages of sin is death. God sent his son to die, not only for Israel, but for the whole world. And how is that person born from above or born again? How is he saved from eternal perishing? By believing on Jesus Christ, by looking to him in faith. Now, do you see the the parallel there, and why this is included in that? It's just a, a little detour, but I think it's important. So, if water and the Spirit from John 3 and Ezekiel sort of explain the mechanics of the how of being born from above, there's one more layer that we want to look at really briefly, and that comes from Mark's gospel account. In order to participate in what we just outlined, we got to carry out these steps in Mark 1:15. Mark says. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then what? Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. That is, this, I think, is where all the parts begin to come together. So the Holy Spirit draws you in and prepares your heart. You begin to change your mind about your sin and about God. Seeing your need for His forgiveness, you believe in the process of The living water is starting to wash over you and the spirit is replacing the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. Now, some people would want to work really hard to assign a specific order to how all these things play out, but I'm not even going to go down that road with you. At the end of the day, this is what it looks like to be born from above, a.k.a. born again. But why? If that's the how, the why. Why is it even possible to be born from above, to be born again? Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Perhaps the most familiar verse in the entire Bible. Jesus came to save the world. We know that. How? By giving up his own life. By by laying down his life as a ransom for many. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. You see, every single person is already condemned. Charged, guilty of sin and rebellion against God. That's the world's problem. We have a sin problem. And that is what Jesus came to fix. That's what it means that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Quite simply, because the world was already condemned. (laughs) He didn't need to condemn it again. It's already been condemned. Jesus came to save those who would repent and believe. What does the word repent actually mean? Change your mind, right? Change your mind about what? About your sinfulness and about who God is. Acknowledging yourself as a condemned sinner. Guilty as charged. Then you're positioned to believe in Jesus, to fix the problem, to settle the debt that you owe, that you yourself could not pay. As in he gave up his life on that cross, poured out his blood, a way was created. A way of forgiveness and reconciliation to God the Father. Problem is, that a lot of people love being in the darkness, don't they? And they refuse to come to the light. In fact, they hate the light because it exposes their sin. You guys know anybody that um, gets uncomfortable around you because they know you're a Christian? You're like, uh, I'm not sure I can be around you. Imagine what it's like when they find out you're a pastor. And people <laughs> flip on a dime. They're like, oh. they don't know what to do with themselves. as they can sense the light that you are reflecting to the world and they don't like it. But the light is the very thing that that, that that you need to be shining into the world that it can expose their sin and show their need for a Savior, that they can repent and believe in Jesus Christ. But the love, church, the love that God has for His special and unique creation, us, is remarkable. Let me just share something that I think would do your heart a lot of good. Go with me all the way back to John chapter 2, way back to John chapter 2, and mark it on this a little bit, John chapter 2, verse 23 and 24 is a, and 25 really, is a transition statement that ties all of this together, let me just read this real quick, John 2, 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Now, this may become as a shock to some of you, but Jesus knows you very intimately. (laughs) What's in your heart, he knows your thoughts, your motives, your desires, everything. There's no part of your life or heart that is off limits from God. And not just you as Christians, every human being from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He knows intimately all of us. And if I'm honest, and friends, if you're honest, there are some parts of our hearts that we could probably consider unlovable. And I won't even ask you to amen it, but (laughs) amen. Thank you. (laughs) And in spite of God knowing every one of those unlovable parts, he still loves us. So much so that he sent his precious son to die for you and for me. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5:8. Church, this is the God of the Bible. And this is what he has done for the world. People believe a lot of different things about what it takes to be a Christian. My prayer is that when you use the term born again, we don't have to Inigo Montoya you. And say, man, I, I'm not sure what you're saying is what, is what is really right. I don't think you believe exactly what is going on here. But not only that, not only do you know it, but that you're letting your light shine before others. So let me close with this, church. As I've been saying for, for some time now, collectively the elders have been saying, the Christian purpose is not to accumulate knowledge. It's not to be a consumer consumer. It's not even to be on the sidelines of life, just sort of watching things go by. It's to obey. If you love me, Jesus says, you will what? Keep my commandments. That's obedience. That's what we're after. That's what he's after. Not perfection. Obedience. So i ask you, church, how or what? Will you change this week to be a little bit more obedient to God? Based on this text, for me, I will make every effort to remain in the light this week. I'm going to avoid behaviors and thoughts that lead me away from the light. Because ultimately, it's for my good and for God's glory, right? So now when you hear people talking about being born again, you can talk and have a conversation and perhaps even lovingly offer some correction when they maybe have a, a sideways view or an incomplete view. I'd be like, oh, born again. Oh, you mean that word, oh, that, the word I actually translated uh, born from above. And let me tell you about what it takes to do this. Let's go to Ezekiel 36 and let's walk through this. They'll think you're like a theologian for real. But you've got to have command of the scriptures, my friends. You've got to know what the Bible says in order to apply it to your lives. So my encouragement to you is this week, read through again John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, and make a decision. Okay, based on what I just read, I am going to do this. Refuse to allow this morning to be another moment of accumulating knowledge for the sake of accumulating knowledge. Because you know who's, who's good that is for? Yours and yours alone. Ultimately, it does nobody around you any good. So will you do that? Yes, I would encourage you to do that. And if you want to dive deeper into this text, show up at the Furtado's house on Friday night at 7 o'clock. You'll go super deep into this stuff. And it's a good, good opportunity. A great Way to dive deep into that. So, church, let's close in prayer together and move on with the service. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, we we are undeserving of your love. There's literally nothing that we have done to deserve that love for us. It's your grace, it's your goodness, it's your love, it's your mercy, it's your character, it's who you are. God is love. And we, we are eternally grateful for the way in which you've made for us. And God, we don't want to be selfish with this incredible gift. Because you've given it to us that we might give it to others. By way of sharing. Sharing our lives. Lord, I know you don't expect us to hold a Bible up everywhere we go and just... Condemn people and and preach hellfire and brimstone and scare people into heaven. That's not what you're about, Lord. You've commissioned us to go into all the world and teach people to obey. Simple obedience to the word of God. So help us to do that faithfully, Lord. Help us to, to, to learn more about your word to become more familiar with your word, that we might be able to help others see the significance of our need for you. So Lord, we ask for your help in this way. Increase our desire and passion for you and for others. And give us, you burden our hearts, Lord, for the lost, the people in our families and communities that are wandering, condemned, knowing that we hold the keys We have the answers. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.